White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made him 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar text the word grade to 32 32 32 right now hooked on phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day for more than 30 years hooked on phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use text grade to 32 32 32 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed text grade to 32 32 32 right now and get started for just one dollar text grade to 32 32 32 now text grade to 32 32 32 Welcome back to the Razball Prospect Podcast with your host, Ralph Lifshitz. Brand new microphone and all. I'm here with Lance, as always, for the second time at least. What's going on, Lance? We've got a big show today. How's it happen? What's what's going on, man? How are you doing? Not much. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. We got Thursday. I like the Thursday recording of the show, I have to say. It it primes mm. the weekend pretty well. Fridays usually go pretty quick. Usually get out a little bit early from work. It's nice. And uh, Thursday nights are good. Thursday nights are always a good night. And this just makes it better, man. Yeah, I like the, that I'm able to like put everything together and have the post ready to go before Friday night because we'll yeah. have all this you know recorded and cleaned up and everything within you know uh, a couple of hours hopefully or at yep. least you know sometime tomorrow afternoon and that means I can post it like get it ready earlier I can post it out on uh, 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 blog talk radio a little bit earlier so I can do yep. all that stuff at in a timely manner and that means I get to spend a little bit more time finishing up my post for Sunday. So yeah, it works great because it opens up time on my, my weekend and it allows my wife to actually see me once in a while. <laughs> I'm sure she's, I'm sure she's very happy about that. <laughs> Love yeah. It. Yeah. Awesome. Oh yeah. She's a, Good. she's so, an absolute let's dig thing. In. If, <laughs> as, I, as I completely cut you off about your wife. <laughs> it's it's continue, fine. Continue. She's a praise saint. her. Praise she's her. Come on. Saint. You got to praise her. Yeah. yeah she's, a saint. Right. she's She's going to eventually host me. Say anything We're nice. going to, 
<laughs> we're going to do a live pod eventually and I'm going to have to meet her. So, uh, um, I hope you read about the same. I hope she doesn't kick me out cause I'm a millennial and something. <laughs> well, technically, Man. technically I'm a millennial too. Technically my wife and I are both oh, millennials. Okay. We're 80, we're 82. So we're kind of in that, that window that we're technically millennials yeah. if they go from like the 80 on number. Um, but I mean, yeah, we're not, I, I don't even like to use the term millennial. I hate generational I terms. I think they're dumb, I agree. you know, because I, I, mean, I heard a really good definition of millennial the, the other day, other week. I don't remember when it was. Someone said that a millennial is just someone younger than you that you hate. And I was like, <laughs> that's pretty fair. Like, I mean, I, I'm sure I'm going to be calling the kids when I'm like in my late twenties, that all the kids in high school millennials <laughs> or some, whatever the, the buzzword is at the time. But yeah, it's a derogatory, it's a derogatory hate term yeah. for, uh, it's, it's for, for young people. Yeah. It's, Man. it's really strange. And I, I have this, I have this whole theory that like anybody who hates it, every time you ever use like this music today, this clothes today, oh, like whatever it is, oh, it's like, Oh, come no. on, man. You sound exactly like the old dude that hated like, you know, baggy pants and Tommy Hill and polo yeah. and all the stupid shit I was rocking when I was 18. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, so, I had, I had my eyebrow pierced. I get it, man. I'm not, I know I'm, I'm so not judgmental and I hate when I'm around people that are like that, you know, like these millennials or, or like when you're in and it happens a lot in business, like, cause I'm in, like I have somewhat oh, yeah. of a management position at my job. I'm in insurance and at this, at this job, they always put me into sort of these, you know, management meetings and they always will have like conversations and like connecting with millennials. And I'm like, you know what? Hey, you want to collect with millennials? Don't use the term millennial. <laughs> That's <laughs> rule one. <laughs> You're just stereotyping right. everyone. Ugh. You know who's not a millennial? D. Gordon is not a millennial. I don't think. D. 29? Gordon, uh, I think D. Gordon is definitely fringe. a millennial. D. Gordon is right, definitely because I'm 35. So I'm an old MLB player and technically a millennial. So <laughs> all MLB players are millennials except for like maybe like three of them. So <laughs> D. Gordon's a millennial and he's been traded. He's also a newly minted Seattle Mariner. What are your thoughts in the trade, Lance? I thought it was interesting. The most interesting thing, obviously, is is what's been breaking a little bit that I'm hearing is that he's going to play center field. I don't know if you heard this, mm. Ralph, but I heard, uh, I think it was Greg Johns, maybe Jeff Johns. I don't remember who the MLB reporter is for for um, the Seattle area, but he broke that sure. Gordon was shocked, quote shocked, that he will be moved to center. But he's going to obviously do whatever he wants to help the team, this and that. But um, it's interesting, you know. And then the the tie back here is that obviously it's Otani time, so everyone's trying to free up the money. Um, and I'm interested actually in how much you actually think, Ralph. Uh, Otani isn't about the money. You know, we've heard this the whole time. And Otani doesn't want any money. This and that. You know, he's going to get the league minimum. He's going to get the small, the international signing slot, whatever. It's maxed out at like high three millions and whatever. But all these teams are adding. The Twins added, or excuse me, the Angels, Padres, all these other teams added stuff. And now we're mm, looking at we're looking at all these teams appreciating. I think the Mariners just jumped over the Rangers in terms of that amount. And I mean, at the end of the day, apparently Otani is saying it doesn't matter about the money. But apparently, all these teams they think that there's minor amounts of, of increase in their in their signing slot, I'll, I'll get them. So it's interesting, but I mean, the prospects that came uh, over to Miami, Robert Duger, Nick Nieder, and Christopher Torres. Um, Nieder, I looked at a little bit, Ralph, you could talk about Duger and Torres, I'll pass them to you. But Nieder, uh, from what I understand, really good change, um, beautiful control, but there's really no strikeout upside there. So um, I believe he was the top arm in the Mariners system from what I understand. And we know how those have gone in the past with guys like Danny Holson and et cetera, who's just kind of imploded. And it's been a miserable ride for any <laughs> Mariners prospector, I would say. But uh, Nieder goes back to Miami now. I, I guess if you want to look long term, like 
he kind of reminds me of uh, um, who's that pitcher? I don't even remember his name. There's Miami pitchers who's kind of got a heavy change that works pretty well. Um, I'll think of his name, I'm uh, sure, as you're speaking. But, Straley? Uh, yeah, Straley, excuse me. But uh, it reminds me a little bit of Straley, much less on the strikeout upside. But um, Nieder comes over. Duger, I believe, was the seventh prospect in the um, Mariners system. And then Torres was probably a little bit further outside. So how much do you know about Duger and Torres? Do you think it's worth kind of keeping an eye on them, Ralph? What's kind of the general impression around the extra pieces aside from Gordon playing center and aside from the international signing slot money? Yeah, I want to say that the international uh, slot money trading in the last couple of days has been really interesting. And I think it's sort of showed a little bit of a tell as to what three teams potentially could be the true finalists for Otani services. And it might be Seattle, San Diego, and now the Angels. And I think that um, those three locations probably make a lot of sense. San Diego is a beautiful place, but I think that that team is building toward a potential window upcoming here where they have a really strong system. They're really deep at a lot of different positions. We're going to just touch on it quickly. One of their, their prospects, uh, you know, teenage phenom in Australia, same path that uh, uh, Ronald Acuna, number one prospect in baseball followed last year. That's Gabriel Arias. And they have a ton of guys um, going right through that system. We're going to touch on them, obviously probably within a month or so, but I can't mm-hmm. wait to talk about the Padres. Uh, and oh, yeah. I think that there's a fit there now, um, you know, looking at the angels, AL team, I think there's a fit there. You want to play with Mike Trout, live in LA, you know, the pressure of the Dodgers, you can, you know, potentially be a DH there in the AL. We know about the fit in Seattle. We know about the history with Seattle, with Ichiro. We know DePoto obviously has been uh, heavy on Otani. He's already been a good source of information, apparently, on Otani, according to Lance, a big fan of his podcast. I still got to catch up on that myself. Um, so I think these are the three finalists. Seattle seems to be adding heavily. You know, I, I, I want him to go to San Diego. I think it would be a great story. I'm indifferent between the Angels and the Mariners. My gut tells me he's going to land with the Mariners, and uh, yeah. they're making some moves. Adding D. Gordon, um, I, I, it's so Jerry Depoto that he would he would move him to center field and not have him play second base. But I did yeah. see, um, oh, what who's the guy from uh, uh, Baseball uh, Farm that does the the statistics for MLB? Uh, Darren Willem. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think is his he name. Stack a lot of stack he, stuff, right? Yeah. Exactly. He actually did a, uh, a projected range of what you know area Gordon could cover in center field based on like average fly balls, blah 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 blah. And it was a pretty absurd. <laughs> it was a pretty absurd range of of what he could cover. Bu- so maybe it's not all that bad of an idea, especially you know with a team who needs like a true center fielder, you know, and a long term option there. Maybe Gordon could slip in and do that. Uh, touch and brief in the prospects. I like Nieder. I think his breaking ball is a little underrated. Um, like his changeup a lot. You know, he 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 missed a lot of bats in high A. Um, obviously, didn't in a short time that he was he was called up to Double A last season, if I'm not mistaken, with Double A, right? That he was called up only yep, for he was in a couple of weeks, if I'm looking. Really located, but not for but, uh, yeah. yeah, but not for very not for very no, long, right? Wasn't a big sample. Um, you know, as for, for Duger, I don't know a ton about Duger if I'm, if I'm being honest here, I know a little bit more about Christopher Torres, um, sort of, a uh, um, international guy, uh, great athlete, you know, twitchy sort of a, above average foot speed, decent plate coverage, decent plate approach. Um, I had read a few things on him, quick hands and, uh, they think potentially that, uh, 
you know, he could he could stay at shortstop long term. So I think Torres is a pretty interesting player in the mix here. Uh, Nieder is definitely the the leading the leading guy. Mm-hmm. I've heard um, sort of split uh, uh, takes on him in terms of uh, his long term potential. There are some people that think he's projects out to, you know, with a ceiling of Tim Hudson. He kind of reminds me of Hudson oh. a little bit. If you look at his mechanics, he's got sort of that hides the ball similar to him has, you know, sort of a similar um, delivery. And I've heard that comp before. Uh, and then I've heard that he's sort of a back end guy that, you know, the numbers will look good in the minors. But once he gets up in the majors, he's going to be sort of mediocre and probably not all that different from Straley, though. Straley, funny enough, everyone praised his changeup when he was with Cincinnati. He was traded to uh, Miami this year, and the changeup did not grade well uh, in Fangraph's uh, pitch values. That really stuck with me from my time doing uh, <laughs> the pitching profiles. I know it's totally off subject there, but no. I don't know. I, it's 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 kind of an underwhelming return, I think, for for Miami. It's not awful, but a lot of it really depends on Torres, and I don't know a whole lot about, about Duger, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, it's an interesting package. I, I'm not 100% sure what I think at the end of the day. I'm just most interested to see what on earth Jeter does with the organization in Miami. But I think that's a t- probably a topic for another day because we could go into a rabbit mm. hole that extends 50 feet to the ground on that one. Sure, but, exactly. Uh, uh, let's jump over to uh, Giants and Stan. That seems like it's kind of bubbling around the surface. I've heard the Dodgers might get back in on this to some extent, which is interesting because I'm very interested to see what prospect package they'd be willing to put together that doesn't absolutely mm. slaughter their luxury tax side of things. I wonder if they're willing to put it in someone higher end of pitching side, you know, maybe like a Yadier Alvarez or something like that to get back Stan and maybe take on less money to not just be taxed basically 50 cents on the dollar for everything that's going on with them. But, um, you know, Helio Ramos is the guy that seems to be kicking around and starting to buzz as far as what might actually be coming back to Miami. And initially I, I wasn't too sure if that was plausible. And I think I got in a couple of Twitter conversations about it where most of the people kind of dismissed it, but it seems like it's a reasonable point now to say he is in the mix in this package that consists of something like Shaw, possibly a Christian Arroyo and a Tyler Beatty and all that money. I mean, they're paying top dollar for Stan. I think they really want him, but I, we just don't know. Like we just really don't know what Stan's thinking. And I think that's the biggest kind of information. Like we're not operating with perfect information. So it's very easy to speculate on a lot of things, but we just don't know. Like, this, is Stan willing to go to San Francisco? San Francisco is a beautiful city, but is he really that kind of set on LA? It just seems odd to me that he'd be so set on one area. But I mean, as you saw with Otani, everyone thought the Yankees were the the leading person of that from the media side of things. And then you know, you get one day into it after all the questionnaires are released, and the Yankees are immediately out. One of the first teams reported out. So it's like, is it the same thing? Like, do we not have a a clear perception of where Stan wants to go? I'm really not sure. I'm honestly not sure. I think he ends up going to the Giants, and I think we're both in agreement of Tony probably ends up in my, um, excuse me, in Seattle. So, I guess we'll see. West Coast is going to get some talent, talent inflow in the next couple of weeks, probably. So, yeah, and they've already added a couple over the last few days, and one of those guys being uh, Kevin Maiton, who uh, obviously signed with the Angels for 2.2 million. That's an addition for to the 4.25 that he signed with, uh, with the Braves and whatever other money they funneled to him through other trainers. I don't know if he gets to keep that or not. And I thought a funny, interesting slant to the story was um, the Twins outbid the Angels for my time, and he still chose the Angels. I don't know if that was a system thing. You know, the Twins are pretty stacked at shortstop uh, with a bunch Mm -hmm. of options. The guys, you know, long-term with, you know, someone like Lewis, Gordon, and then, of course, Polanco at the major league level as well. So um, what do you think about my time going to the Angels over over the Twins? I was very surprised to see that. I, I mean, I'm not sure how much of the money thing actually comes into play with him. 
um, at the end of the day, you know, if he's looking, I think it was, a, was it a million or something like that? Maybe a little bit more. I mean, for a kid that yeah. young, it's unbelievable, but I mean, I'm not really sure. I think it sounds like a system thing to me. It can't really be a playing time thing to me. It's not like both those teams came to the table and were aggressive or bullish about his development track. It's I, I doubt the angels came to the table and were like, Hey, yeah, we could see you in the majors in a year and a half. Like that just seems yeah. unlikely <laughs> to me. So it's like, yeah. I, I, I guess it was a system thing. I'm interested to see, you know, the relations too, as far as what his, what management, or what guys he has on his side as far as agencies go and their connections. I feel like it might come back to that sure. obviously on the agency side, but that was interesting. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't like colder weather in Minnesota. I mean, that's something you people often overlook, you know, I think we're starting to notice that with Stan, like he clearly doesn't want to go North. Like, um, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. But, the, um, the next generation get to tra- play with Mike Trout. Uh, they also signed Levon Soto as well for 800,000. I was just going to mention quickly, uh, Jeffrey Del Rosario, a right-hand pitcher. I like a lot. Signed with the Royals and uh, for six uh, uh, 650K, um, the reason he signed with the Royals, I think he was offered more money by somebody else as well, but he signed with the Royals because of uh, Jordano Ventura is apparently his idol. So uh, that's pretty cool. That's the reason that he signed with the Royals. And then Abraham Gutierrez, who got a ton of money from the Braves, $3.5 million, uh, back in 2016, in that signing period, signed with the Phillies for uh, a little bit over 500,000. So today we're going through the D-backs and the Orioles. I know we should probably try to move this along so we don't end up doing a two-hour show here. Um, <laughs> but I know let's let's get into it a little bit on the D-backs. We're going to start off with the Diamondbacks. A little bit of an improving system. They've had some some prospects pop uh, over the last year. I think they made some good draft picks. They got a couple of catchers that I like as well. Um, why don't we talk about? Uh, very difficult name to say. John Duplantier is the correct uh, correct pronunciation. Though I can't say correct correctly. <laughs> I can say De- Duplantier correctly. Um, had a great season between a couple levels. Started in the Midwest League, which is their low A or full season A affiliate. Um, that's Kane County of the Midwest League. Was called up to, I believe the pronunciation is Vasilia in the California League. Uh, that's obviously somewhat known as a homer prone league, even though that's not true. We can get into that a little bit later. That's actually become somewhat of a pitcher league as they've lost, uh, two of their, their top hitting destinations. Um, but he had a great season. He actually had the lowest ERA in the minor league since Justin Verlander's 1.29 in 2005, over 136 innings. He went 12 and three with a 1.39 ERA, uh, 0.98 whip, 165 Ks. To 42 walks. So he's got some strikeout upside. Lance, what did you see with Duplantier? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing, Duplantier, I'm probably going to call him Duplantier or just Duplanter. Duplanter. <laughs> it's terrible. It's, terrible. It's, it's Northeastern American, but I think we're going to have to deal with that. But um, but yeah, I, I, he's interesting. He's a very interesting guy. He's bigger. Um, and the thing I found, I think, most interesting actually about him, uh, we'll kind of jump to more of the, the scouting side of this initially as opposed to the stats, I think, right off the bat. But so David Laurie of Fangraphs, I love reading through Fangraphs, favorite site, aside from Razzball, obviously. But um, I was reading through some Laurie stuff, and he has some injury history that kind of is attached to his name. But I actually was interested in seeing what Laurie had to say. He interviewed, I believe, him and a coach. And apparently Duplanter was a quarterback, I believe, in high school to some extent, and had shoulder problems, or had shoulder, excuse me, strength from that, and didn't do too much arm care around it. So when he went to baseball full-time, the pressures of where he was throwing football is very different. Obviously rotator cuff side from the arm and a lot more pressure on your elbow when you're throwing a baseball, but he credited a lot of the shoulder problems to that. 
And then again, he had an arm problem a bit later. And he said that was because after his shoulder problem, he adjusted his arm slot. And then of course he jumps your arm slot, different pressures, et cetera, on your arm and started getting el- elbow flare ups. But he f- firmly believes that this isn't like a chronic thing. It's not like an injury prone thing with him. And the thing I want to ask you, Ralph is like, when you hear this about a prospect like this, is it at all satiating to you to see some evidence for an injury as opposed to just we don't know he's his shoulders barking his arms barking even if it's an excuse like this i mean i don't want to call it an excuse it's a it's a more of a reason than an excuse to me but it's something to look into it's interesting you know this kid was a quarterback shoulder strength goes to pitching full-time different pressures on the arm didn't do too much arm care understands now that he's a number one prospect i think by both of our consensus in the system for the d-backs that he has to take care of his arm and he has to perform at this level you know, consistently to make any, any name for himself in the major leagues. And I'm interested. I like him a lot. The biggest thing that stands out, obviously when you get back to the pitch mix for him is the sinker. It's a, it's an absolute yeah. bowling ball from what I understand. You can see it exactly. too. When you're watching him, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's just, I don't even want to ever swing a bat at that. If I was a player, honestly, but I mean, the thing was, he's got the beautiful mix. And this is something I love with a guy who I think coming into, um, Full season, you know, outside of the prospect realm, once was a prospect last year. Luis Castillo, very good swinging miss rate, swinging strike rate, and very good ground ball rate. This is a combo we've seen with guys with like Keiko, we've seen with Castillo. And I think, honestly, in two plants here, if you're looking at a guy in the minors that has this combo, that bowling ball sinker plus the 165 Ks through 136 innings, I, it's a very, very nice pairing. It's the reason why he had the lowest ERA in the minors. It's the reason why his whips sub one. And I, I'm intrigued by him a lot. He's Rice Gray, he's a little bit older, 23 now, which I like a lot personally. I like. I mean, if you're looking at getting value right now from a pitcher and you're on a de- you have a dynasty team and you're not, you know, you need something now. You're contending you may be top six in a 12-team league. You just need a pitcher to get some innings for you. I mean, you have here, Ralph, in your post, actually, that you think your late September call-up's possible. You have his ETA at early 2019. And I think I agree with that 100%. I even might even pull it forward a little bit, you know, depending on the D-back situation, how they're contending, et cetera. We can maybe see something like what they do with Banda, where they bring him up, go to the pen with him for a little bit, which we can get into. I didn't really like too much personally, but I'm interested to see what they do with Duplanter. You know, September call-up's a possibility. I want to see him at a higher level. Um, I think he's going to start at double A as well. So what are your thoughts? Yeah. And I'll say just jumping into the injury thing. Uh, first off, I, sure. and I think it's different. It's difficult because, uh, you know, if you, if you see multiple injuries and then you see mechanically that, Hey, there's some stuff that's kind of, you know, barking at me here in terms of, you know, where he is, you know, you know, when he weight distribution, sure. um, you know, where like is, where, you know, exactly. Some of that, you know, if you look at like, uh, a guy like, uh, Seth Ramiro in the, in the draft this year, yep. you could tell that he puts a, you know, a lot of strain in his elbow, you know? So mm-hmm. there's some question marks. There's good as his stuff as, as much as I like what I see in terms of the result. And I know that we, we sort of talked about this before, or might've been mentioned in the notes, but as much as I like the result, the actual mechanical side of it is, is very difficult. And I think that's something that, you see on video because you can stop, you can rewind, you can pause. And typically a lot of these scouting videos, they're trying to get it from um, sort of that side angle, whether it be from the first base side or the third base side, you know, front side or backside. Um, and I think what I noticed with, with Duplantier is he did sort of streamline his mechanics a little bit. They were much better. He has a much cleaner drive. Uh, it's the plate. He definitely drives with his legs quite a bit. I like, you know, what the the legs look like consistently, even from the stretch. Um, I saw some good, you know, scouting videos. Some of the stuff that was on Baseball Census. You know, if, if uh, you're looking for video, I, I highly recommend Baseball Census. They do a great job. Um, but 
you could sort of see that he cleaned up the mechanics. And so once I started to get more information, you get some context in the injury and you see that this guy's going deep in the games and the team had confidence in him to go deep into the games very early in the season in the Midwest league was sort of aggressive with his assignment. Um, it told me that, Hey, this guy is on track for 130, 140 innings. That's a great sign. If a team will throw a guy 130, 140 innings, there's no shutdowns, uh, no sort of tweaks or flare ups or anything like that. That's a really good sign. And, and, you know, then you get some more information regarding, you know, the football injury and some of the other stuff. And, you know, I think another part of it too, is when someone's fully focused as a major leaguer full-time um, or even a professional baseball player for that matter, full-time versus college um, sort of conditioning and, and whatnot, you have access to a lot more. You're focused on it. And once you get to the major leagues, then you're, you're actually able to focus on a lot more and, you know, refine the routine even, even more. So if someone's, and, I, and sometimes I try to pick up on, that in scouting reports is, you know, attitude, um, you know, is the guy a tireless worker? It's one of the reasons I like a player like Tyler O'Neill. Um, so I think with Duplantier, you know, once you got some context on the injury, you saw that he made some tweaks mechanically uh, and that it allowed him to, to keep his stuff deep into games, keep that sink really crisp deep into games. I mean, it's a heavy sinker. It's yeah, a, that is a, that is a heavy sinking fastball. Um, and he gets great playing on it, um, you know, downhill motion, and he's got some decent secondaries as well. So I like everything there uh, with Duplantier in terms of his ETA. I don't know, because the thing with Arizona is Arizona sort of is stacked in terms of arms that are major league ready at this point, especially mm-hmm. if Shelby Miller comes back sometime in the midseason where I think, you know, Duplantier, even if things go really well, because he will get a double A assignment. I do think we'll see him in double A from the jump. So there's a chance that you could see triple a sometime in the early, you know, you know, summertime mid season. Uh, there's a chance that he could be up in late August. If there was some string of injuries and he's putting up numbers, like he was putting up this season, he's missing bats, getting uh, ground balls and has a really low ER range, you know, great overall uh, peripheral numbers and, and just the results. Then yeah, there's a solid chance he could be up in early August, but that's the earliest I see it. I think it's more likely we see a September call up. Uh, or even gets pushed back sometime into 2019 just because um, these teams still don't want to push along arms, especially with the depth that they have. It would be, a, a, like I said, it had to be a string of injuries, I think, for him to get uh, more than a couple of starts in Arizona or even a couple of you know innings out of the bullpen. Yeah, I think you're spot on like that. And I think the low-hanging fruit with Duplanter is, is the fact that you could just say it's a flash in the pan, which I don't think I necessarily agree with entirely because – you know, Gray, Gray actually had a post today, um, Gray Albright, about DeJong. You know, I was talking a little bit about in the comments with him. Just kind of, he had basically three buckets, and I won't go through all the buckets, but one of the buckets is basically you could consider this guy a sleeper because he had a good season and no one thinks he can repeat it. And to some extent, yeah. I almost think DuPlanter could be considered in that bucket with DeJong. And it's obviously very different minor leagues versus major leagues, et cetera. But I mean, he pitched, he pitched so well. There's probably a lot of people that are a little bit nervous about him actually repeating this when in reality, I think. It's more than likely he he doesn't repeat it, but he's going to come close to this level because of what we're talking about, the high floor with the sinker, the strikeout, swing and miss, et cetera. So um, I'm interested to see what happens with him. Very interested. I want to see that double A assignment and what happened. A lot of guys in 2018, I think we're on the same page with where we want to we see a lot. 
Absolutely. And I wanted to jump into the next guy here so we can keep it moving along is Marcus Wilson. Marcus Wilson had an excellent year for Kane County. This guy was an earlier round pick a few years ago, uh, was a, a prep guy, sort of five tool potential guy, you know, great, you know, toolsy uh, through the roof potential uh, type, you know, uh, outfielder, of course. Po- so a little bit of power, some speed. I would say it's probably more like 45 grade power, if that's even a grade 45 to 50. It's not quite 40. I think it's at least average. A um, lot of speed. He's got bat speed. Um, good on base guy. Walks a lot. Cut his strikeout rate quite a bit this year. Um, when I watch him, I like a lot of what I see. Now, typically the stuff I'm seeing, a lot of it is highlight videos too. So I don't know if I'm seeing a lot of the bad. But I thought this is a guy that made some tweaks. Um, good plate approach. Like I said, I think there's more power there than than we're seeing. Uh, when you do see him get a hold of one, you see how quick his bat is. And he's got some foot speed. He's a great athlete. So I'm always willing to take a chance on a guy like that. I did have him in my top 100. I had him really late in my top 100, uh, maybe like 93 or something like that. I don't remember off the top of my head. But uh, I think he's an interesting prospect. What do you think about Wilson Lance? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that both lists, we combine these two. We combine the D-backs and Orioles because once you get past kind of that top three, you start to get out of the top 100. So we're combining mm. them. We're not going to obviously touch up the guys that are 200 beyond. You know, that's obviously something I think for the comments if people are interested in hearing about like a, like a Taylor Clark or Jimmy Sheriff here or something like that in the D-back system. I would definitely talk about that in the comments. But Wilson's interesting to me. He's already 21. I think the biggest thing for him is whether that power fills out. And that's obviously the question with so many guys, you see raw talent and like this, where there's an interesting power speed combo, but it's more so like a power light combo. Like you're not sure. Can he put on 10, 15 pounds at this age and, and actually fill out into his role and become like a 15, 20 ish guy, or even like a 2015 guy, if the speed eventually ticks down a little bit, but the most intriguing thing I'm him with, with him, obviously if you jump on any of the box score sites, like fan or something like that is the K rate dropped to uh, around 20% in the, in the walk rate ticked up. And that was in a very nice sample of about 450 plate appearances at a ball. And um, it was in the mid twenties. And that's something I love to see. And that's why I'm most intrigued about him. I can't say I'm in love with a lot of him from a mechanic standpoint at the plate. I actually thought he reminded me a little bit of, of Hanley Ramirez and his hand motions when I was watching the bit, which is a weird comp because the body type is, is very different. But if you watch his follow through his hand path, it's, it's relatively similar. And I was kind of surprised by that, which makes me in some way kind of get a little biased. It made me think there is more power there than I would expect. But well, the and thing, let me mention, I wanted to yeah. mention one other thing on him too, that I, I noticed. And I, you know, I noticed it a little bit in terms of the loft in his swing between the video of like 2016 to 2017. And I know mm-hmm. he was 19. He was only 20 this year. I think he just turned uh, 21 back in August actually. But yep. if you look at, at his batted ball profile, he had a really high line drive rate last year, 24%. Also had a really high ground ball rate at 52%. He ticked off of both of those and went from a 23% fly ball rate last year to a 37% fly ball rate this year. Um, so he was hitting the ball in the air a lot more. I know he added some loft to his swing, and it, it, it did play up in power. I mean, he had nine homers this year. He had two or three homers in his entire uh, professional career prior to that. And, and the biggest thing with that is the combo of that and the drop in the K rate is, I think, central to point out with him. Like, that's a very good point about that. I'm actually going to probably go back and look at that because you don't you mm-hmm. notice that you look at his fan graphs. He doesn't have at any level for any sample of years any more than one home run. And then you see that loft tick up with the fly balls and you see nine home runs and 15 bags. But I, I'm most pleased by the fact that that K rate dropped, that it was around 28 percent 
in the kind of 100 plate appearance sample prior in 2016, at the end of 2016, in A-ball, and then that cuts down to 20%. So the combo of that's fantastic. But the guy that I would think I have above him, and this is something we talked a little bit on our first podcast together, Ralph, regarding Pavin Smith, who I believe we're a little bit, I think, the other way on. I think that you're a little bit lower on him than I am. And I love disagreement. Um, so this is something that I want to kind of talk to you about. Um, Pavin Smith over Marcus Wilson for you. What I mean, or he's not over Marcus Wilson for you. He would be for me. I'd probably have Pavin Smith as the two in this system. Um, I think this kind of goes back to what we've talked about a couple times about Pavin with understanding on your side. I think your gripe is a little bit how much of that power is actually translating to home run power and game power at the major league level. And I think I'm buying in a little bit more. I've always been a fan of compact power. I'm, a, I'm one of my favorite swings in baseball has always been Chris Bryant. And I'm not saying Pavin Smith, Chris Bryant from the from the left side, but it's a similar kind of compact power. You know, there's not a lot of motion in his swing and he drives the ball very, very well to all fields. And I, I like that a lot. And again, we could go through a lot of the things we talked about in the first two player pod. Very weird A ball line. Um, no home runs. Then he eventually popped one in the playoffs. Um, crazy amount of doubles. But I mean, the slash was was decent, but it was weird. Again, you know, he's batting near uh, 320 ish, but the slug was like 415. So it's like. You hear about the power. He's a college college hitter from Virginia. He's probably going to end up at first base. And again, you need to kind of have that 25 home run power to be relevant at first base. So is that at the ultimate reason you think first base is too deep? Is that kind of what you have in this three window and you think there's not enough kind of room to grow? Or do you just like the upside with Wilson that much? Yeah, and I think I think the difference for me is uh, Wilson has some exciting skills, that there's the opportunity for some power and some speed and if, you know, Wilson and Smith have similar sort of power and Wilson has probably 20 steel speed, you know, you know over 162 games or whatever, mm-hmm. maybe you could steal a little bit more, you know, give or take a few plus double digit power. You know, I'll take a few less points in batting average. You know, I mean, I don't I don't think Wilson's a 290 hitter. I think he's probably more like a 270 hitter. I mean, he needed a 360 baby to do it. I think having Smith is a 300 hitter. I worry with Pavin Smith that he's not going to develop over the fence power with, with wood bats. He's got a great Mm. swing, but sometimes guys like that scare me a little bit. And you know, it's like Joe Maurer. Joe Maurer is a very good hitter at his peak seasons. He was a great hitter, but he had value because he was a catcher. You know, Um, I wonder how much power Pavin Smith eventually develops. And if he's able to get to that 20, if he's able to get to sort of that 25 number, then I'm totally wrong. And Pavin Smith's going to be an awesome fantasy player. At least, you know, he'll be a top 12 first baseman and he'll be a guy that will, at least will be owned in 12 team leagues as a corner infielder utility guy. He'll be owned 100% everywhere. You know, he'll hit for a great average. I don't doubt that at all. I just wonder if he has 25 homer power because a, a first baseman who hits 300 with 16 home runs just really isn't that exciting. Um, so that's what I worry about with Smith. And I think it's not the floor that I'm buying with Wilson. I'm buying the ceiling there and I'm, you know, and Smith is more of a floor guy. It's very reasonable to be, to have Smith. There's probably people that would rate Smith number one in this system. Um, I think think there's a case for it. And I Mm -hmm. think that, you know, there may be a case for Wilson. I don't know. I think that that would probably be more out in an Island. It just depends how much you buy into Smith. Uh, I like him. He scares me a little bit because I bought into Will Craig. I think he's a better hitter yeah, than Will Craig, but yeah. I bought into Will Craig a little bit. And, uh, when I saw Will Craig in Bradenton this year for a couple yep. of games, 
I was really turned off. I was like, this guy's not going to hit any power. Pavin Smith's a better athlete than, than Will Craig. Uh, just having watched him in college, I know Pavin Smith's a better athlete yeah. than Will yeah. Craig. Um, so I don't, I don't concern myself with that. I know there was some talk uh, pre-draft that uh, Philly actually had Smith working out in the outfield. They thought that he could potentially be a corner outfielder. So that tells you of his athleticism. And maybe that yeah. allows him to make some tweaks. And I think long story short, I do think he could potentially develop some power. I'm not low on Smith. He was borderline top 100. Once I go into the top 200, if he doesn't make the next uh, iteration of the top 100, then he'll probably be, you know, 105 or 106. I, I like Smith a lot. I just, he, he's not quite at that threshold. And I think it's just, it's the sizzle with him maybe a little bit. That's fair. Yeah, I think I'll probably sneak him in my top 100. But I mean, that's again, just speaks. We're not we're not that far off on value. But let's get to four and five on your list. A pair of catchers, which I think to some extent speaks to how not deep this organization is. Unfortunately, I think there are some interesting arms here. There's some interesting bats here as well. But as a, mm. as a far as like relevant fantasy talent, we're already kind of veering into the fact that there probably isn't much from four through 10 on this list that you're going to be extremely excited about on the fantasy side of things. But Andy Yerzy is a catcher and Dalton Varsho is a catcher. Um, I probably would have Varsho above Yerzy. Yerzy is interesting to me because he's bigger. He's tall. He's like six, three. And I saw him hit a little bit and I was like, how on earth is that guy catcher? I immediately thought of a Matt Weeders with his, his terrible framing skills. But I, of course he has all the intangibles in the world, which is why teams keep signing him. But Tall, again, tall catcher reminded me a little bit of Weeders in that respect that I think he's going to have problems with balls down in the zone when he's a catcher and he's framing. But raw power with Yerzy is legitimate and it's he's very young to me. I, I just think that there's a lot of kinks in his swing that he has to work out. But this seems like, again, another rank for you, Ralph, where you're going Marcus Wilson for the upside over Pavin and then you're going uh, Yerzy over Varsho because of probably the upside with Yerzy. If Yerzy can figure it out, you're looking at a 25-ish 30-ish home run bat at catcher. And again, he has to stick a catcher and he has to develop. There's a lot, a lot of ifs with him. And then you look at Varsho and you kind of think a little bit differently. Like again, another guy, I'm not hundred percent sure if he's going to stick at catcher. I see a little bit second base, excuse me, second base in his future. I heard his arm strength isn't the greatest. So it seems like an opportunity spot for him a little bit shorter. I'm um, probably better framing skills at defense overall, but I think his power upside limited, but you look at his bat and his bat is legit. He's slugging 500. I'm um, in low a, it wasn't the biggest sample, but the, the K rate is below 15%. The walk rates are on eight and it's, it's a beautiful subset of skills. There's a little bit of speed too. And I think at second base that turns into probably more of a utility guy. But again, I think I'm probably going floor here and I'd probably put Varsho above Yerzy, but I'm interested in your thoughts, particularly on Yerzy, whether you think he could stick a catcher if he's that big and, and how much you buy into the raw power with him. Yeah. And I think I, I was, I buy into the bat with Yerzy. And the other thing I like about Yerzy is he, he's a Canadian kid um, yeah. so it's almost like, you know, those cold weather kids, they always talk about his first year of, you know, at full, you know, as a professional baseball player, he really cut down his swing and miss issues. Um, you know, only struck out 18.1% of the time this year, and you could see a bit of a change in his swing. There are still some questions. I think his pitch recognition skills are pretty good. Uh, and that plays into it and that will play long-term. You see the raw power. He's a big guy, like you said. I don't know if he sticks at catcher. When I did my top 10 catcher ranks, I had him really high. And I had him maybe like six or seven overall. I, I have to go back and double check. I almost was questionable about putting in the top 100. I like Yerzy a lot. I'm probably one of his, his biggest fans. If he sticks at catcher, which is a big if, I don't know if he will. But I also question how much the Diamondbacks really, really value catcher defense with all these sort of 
four defensive catchers in their organization right now because yep. uh, Varsho isn't any great shakes and he was a college player. You know, Yerzy's only 19 years old. Um, so I think that there's some potential that if Yerzy as a good athlete finds a way to sort of clean up his, his catching skills to the point that he's at least a, a mediocre catcher, but he has this bat with the great on base ability and the big raw power that sort of plays as a professional catcher. There's a lot of guys who are mediocre defensive catchers with big bats that know how to get on base. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think his contact skills are all that bad either. I, I, I like yours. And maybe it's, maybe I just fell in love watching a lot of them because you, like I said, I see a lot of highlights. I don't see as much of the bad with Yerzy, uh, but I do like him quite a bit. Varsho, once again, very close. I liked Varsho. Um, I ranked him relatively highly in my, my top 50 for the first year player draft guys uh, came out of uh, I think Wisconsin, Milwaukee, if I'm not mistaken, which is yeah, kind North. of a, mm-hmm. a funny school. Uh, but his father was a, a former major leaguer. So he has the bloodlines. He was actually named after his father's former teammate, Darren Dalton, famous catcher. Um, but he's got, you know, big, big power upside, decent contact skills, certainly more of a polished player than yours. He is. Um, I don't know if he sticks behind the plate either. And like you said, you know, he potentially could move to second base. I think he has the kind of skill set that if, if he can stick at second, I think his back can still play because there's some contact, there's some power and uh, he runs pretty well as well. He's very athletic for a catcher. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You know, I feel like the question that often comes up with catchers and we'll get to the Orioles list in a bit, but it it always comes up if they're going to stick there because at the end of the day, you have to then look at the skill set and see if it would apply and be relevant at another position if he's not going to be a catcher. Whereas if you take a lot of prospects and make him a catcher, you look at that skill set and you go, yeah, that's a valuable catcher skill set. Because in reality, when you look at fantasy, like there's not many good catchers. <laughs> like it's it's reality. You look at the kind of eight through fifteen and you're like, well, it's it's a crapshoot, you know, every year once you get into drafts in March and such. But I mean, we can get out of the catcher rut until we jump back into Chance Cisco, who I like a lot on the on the Orioles side. But let's look at Anthony Banda a little bit. So this is a guy I always kind of like when we get to see a little bit more on the major league side with some of these guys that are further down on lists, just because we're able to see a little bit more on the data side as far as what Statcast is pulling and all the other kind of advanced metrics we now have. I didn't look into them too too much with Banda, but uh, lefty. He's had a steady K rate, which I think is interesting. I often apply that and kind of look at it and go that his stuff developed and then there's probably not much more development to go with it if it's been steady throughout um, his minor league career or either that or he's had one very good pitch and that pitch will play up at any level. But maybe to a bigger extent, there isn't much more growth there with him particularly. He's had some split issues, right? He's had a 384 Woba against him in a very small sample at the major league level. And the thing that I think I alluded to very briefly at the beginning of this podcast was the fact that they pushed him to the pan after I think four starts. And he kind of stopped using that change up. And I'm always interested in that from a player development perspective, because as an organization, I'm obviously always going to punt to the organization. They know substantially more about the player than I will ever know. But I'm always interested in that because I think they would admit that he needs that change up to be a viable starter. You know, he has a breaking ball. It's decent. He has a fastball. It's very good. But he needs that change up to be able to mitigate any bit of, of righties against him, I think, to some extent. Um, so I'm interested to see kind of your thoughts on Banda if you watch any of his starts. I know he had one pretty good start out at AT&T, probably a bigger park, um, pitched pretty well in that when I was watching some highlights. But overall, I mean, he's interesting. He's got a really interesting motion to his wide leg follow through on it. it. It wraps all the way around and he's kind of a little more sidearm. Um, but it's probably a little more actually three quarters tilt from what I saw. It's more tilt like three, excuse me, three quarter high arm slot, but his tilt is 
extreme. So it looks like he's throwing almost over the top, but he's not. It's, it's weird. It's a funky motion, but uh, I enjoyed watching him, but I just don't really think there's too, too much here to be too hyped about on the fantasy side of things. But uh, your quick thoughts on Banda, Ralph. Yeah. And he, he definitely has uh, Homer problems. Definitely a fly ball guy. I don't know if he's going to play all that well uh, in Arizona long-term, but he's a lefty with a big fastball. I've always liked his curveball. Um, he's got a good breaking pitch, but like you said, you know, went away from the changeup a little bit. And he, hey, he really struggled in the major leagues. I know it wasn't an easy, easy assignment, but I, I, I think if there were a couple of tweaks in in his in his mechanics, maybe because he's a little bit messy. Uh, he's strong. He's got a pitcher's butt. There's some stuff to like there, so I don't want to completely write him off. Um, especially like I said, because he's a hard throwing lefty, but. He's not somebody that I would be uh, beating down any doors to own in any dynasty leagues, I but I could see taking a shot on him as like a, you know, in a, a deeper league. Let's say you're in like a 20 plus league where there's no moves at all. And you're looking for an arm that might get some strikeouts and has some upside to, to make a couple of major league starts this year, or even be a decent pen guy. I think he could be a loogie. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 I don't know. He doesn't have a ton of value, but I don't want to completely write off a, a lefty that throws as hard as he does. I know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, nah, but you fair. went into the technical side of things. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's, this is one of those times we get deep into this system and it's, it's like, you know, Banda, he's even Throwing like, your shoulders. Yeah. yeah, Jazz Chisholm. Yeah. Uh, I like mm-hmm. Drew. I was going to say the only other guy in the system I even probably want to talk about is, is, is Cody Reed or Drew Ellis. But yeah, I mean, it, it's this diamondback system. They have, they have some borderline major league players that you don't want to completely write off because you can see some skills there. And I think Band is one of those guys. But um, he had a rough 2017 after a good 2016. So let's see if, if he tweaks something over the offseason. I know he's had some uh, some issues with you know his his fitness and and that sort of stuff. So maybe he could he, maybe he comes shows up in the best shape of his life, uh, like he's Kyle Schwarber, and all of a yeah. sudden things come together. But <laughs> probably. Probably not, but uh, yeah, Band is one of those guys that I think was just you know sort of bandied about because he was a you know decent prospect in a really bad system last year. Yeah, I agree. We could run through kind of the bottom of this list now too, and then we could jump over to the Orioles. I've been timing us, and I think we're right around that thirty-minute mark on on the one system here, so we have to kind of pick up the pace. But uh, before we end up making this like a two-hour adventure, but <laughs> but uh, yeah. Jess Chisholm, if you're looking at, if you think Marcus Wilson is at all raw, Jess Chisholm, I think it's actually, is his name Gisardo? I think his name's Gisardo. Yeah, it is. It is, okay. is Gisardo, but he, but he goes by Jazz. He goes by Jazz. Yeah, if you're looking at Marcus Wilson thinking he's relatively raw, even though we saw some improvement, Jazz is, is much, much rawer in my opinion. I think that there's interesting power. He puts a lot of momentum in his swing. I think there's a ton of movement. I, I doubt he has very good breaking ball recognition. 31% K rate in A ball. I'm not very keen on that, but the power is there. He's again, he's a lotto ticket. He's a very, very deep lotto ticket to me. I interested. He has a bit of a, a glove. I think that might be able to stick it short, probably a little bit early to tell, but I'm interested in him. Um, this, the steady with him. So that, that could be interesting. That skill set again, we're talking about positionally. I think that could be interesting if he sticks that short, even if he has the high K's, um, there's some power there. I think it might flourish a little bit. Drew Ellis is the Louisville product that, uh, kind of actually out hit, I believe Brendan McKay was it? Was a Louisville other Louisville product, so that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I know you had that in the post. Cody Reed, the other Cody Reed, which uh, the one without glasses. I think that's how I distinguish between the two of them. This was the high school kid the lefty drafted. 
Um, I actually kind of, I like this. I said on my notes here about him that this is kind of what a high school prospect looks like after a couple of years when you tinker with them, you know, because they've kind of cleaned up his delivery a little bit. His walk rate's kind of cutting down a little bit. The strikeouts are kind of still there, but he's still really young. He's not really progressing too quickly. And it seems like relief option is the most obvious with him. And then the last guy I do want to bring up very, very slightly, because I think I'd probably try to sneak him in, in my top 10 actually, Ralph is Jose Almonte who came over from the Ziegler trade, I believe 26% carried at a high a and the walk rate was reasonable. The thing I liked the most is the fact that he threw 140 innings and he's 22. I think that if he stretched out that much and the K rates that reasonable, they cuts down that walk rate at all. It could become a relatively interesting arm. And again, he's got an interesting, uh, the fastball is obviously his, his calling card, I believe good amount of movement doesn't say that straight, but the interesting thing here is that I think he's always been knocked for not having a secondary pitch. And the fact that the K rate jumped out to me makes, makes me think I had trouble verifying this, but that the curveball got better. So I think that that's interesting with him. I'd probably sneak him into my top 10. I know you had Domingo Leba around there. Jimmy Sheriff, he had 11, but, um, any of those guys particularly you want to hit on Ralph before we jump to the Orioles? No. And I think you hit the nail on the head with Cody Reed. I, I do think there's some upside still there. I really like a slider. Um, I own him in some deeper leagues, so I, I, I'm, I'm willing once again to take a shot on a fastball, you know, decent slider, left-handed pitcher. Um, and I agree on Jose Almonte. One of the reasons I didn't include him on here, and I probably would have moved him up now that I know Sherfe probably isn't going to close next year. Uh, now that the Boxberger trade happens. So I think that changes and clears some things up. Um, but I do agree on Almonte. I liked him a lot. He was unprotected in the Rule 5 draft, though. So there is a chance that he could get scooped by somebody. Oh, and I don't think he's a, I think he's a bad option if you wanted to try him as a bullpen arm. Because uh, I think ultimately he may end up there. But he has the fastball to be really effective in the bullpen. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I didn't actually know about the Rule 5 draft. Um, mm. um, that's interesting. Yeah, I'll actually be down. I'll be down at the winter meetings. I won't be there for the Rule 5 draft, but I'll be down there and I'll, I'll keep an eye on it and see where he goes. I'm also interested. We're both in kind of, we go to Hartford a little bit, the Rockies AA. Josh Fuentes is a guy I believe we saw a bit. He's unprotected, I noticed. So yes. I actually kind of liked his bat. I know he batted, I think, behind Brandon Rogers a couple of times when I saw him. I think he batted 3 4 in that lineup. Had kind of 10 ish, 15 home runs in Hartford. I'm not exactly sure how that park looked on park factors, um, but I think he probably played a little bit small. So maybe that's inflated a little bit. But I'm interested to see where he goes. I don't mean to get into a rule five tangent here, but that's interesting. Almonte is is unprotected. I know Fuentes is, and I'm sure there's other posts kicking around by other guys that might be relevant. But um, yeah, Fuentes has got to keep an eye on too. Yeah, rule five is on Sunday. And so that's going to be kind of interesting. There's a lot of actually decent players that were unprotected this year. Um, I kind of like this. I was going through a lot of the names, a lot of names that we'll probably cover, um, you know, and uh, I know Travis uh, uh, Dimitre actually is one that uh, it was, was unprotected from the Braves that I've liked for a long time. He's a three outcome guy. Um, and we'll probably talk about him next week when we do the Braves system, but why yes. don't we go into the Orioles now? Actually, you know what? Scratch that. Let's give a big shout out to our main man, Kenny Cashman, Kenneth Cashman, rotoware.com, the finest, shirts best designs highest quality materials uh as i said top of the game when it comes to uh fantasy baseball shirts fantasy football shirts he's just killing it um you know some of the you know neatest most you know pop culture relevant uh phrases that he's been putting out there i i know that you know anytime you tune into the baseball show with myself or andy singleton we're both wearing uh, uh rotoware shirts I have one on right now. I have an ALNO only shirt. It's one of my favorite ones. I think you have that shirt. I know Gray has that one. Uh, if you not, if you haven't checked out rotoware.com, 
Go check it out right now. We're going to give you 15% off your first purchase. Use the promo code SAGNOF, S-A-G-N-O-F. And I don't know, man, just, you know, keep on, keep on supporting good vendors, people that are supporting us and supporting the fantasy community in general. If you look across, uh, it seems like every single site, every single show, podcast, whatever, Kenny has his, uh, his tentacles or his claws in there. What do you, what do you have to say about Roto-Wear Lance? I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of people who go put their nose to the grindstone like that. And you know, he's not, I feel like deep down, I haven't actually communicated with him or met him, but he did send me a shirt. He's been unbelievably cordial to me as I've, as I've kind of joined you on this podcast, but I love people that hustle like him, man. He does a really good job. We notice, I mean, we talk about it all the time, the little details and everything that he puts in. I, I'm looking at a sticker right now that he gave me with my shirt. He has these cool trading cards with him. I know that he was doing a, a loser's shirt for fantasy football that is just the, the poop emoji on it. And then with <laughs> it comes a card. I thought that was a beautiful touch. So again, rotoware.com, Sagnoff, S-A-G-N-O-F is the 15% off coupon. Um, definitely check him out. And as you said, he's got his tentacles, his claws and everything. So, uh, um, he's doing a great job and I, I love what he does. A lot of the graphics too, on his, his Twitter feed and his follow, he's a very good follow. He did the baseball show. I saw, uh, a little gif with Griffey swing in the background and your name over it or something like that. I thought yeah. that was cool. And then the, the crab that moves on top of the fan track show. So Kenny deep down, man, he's got some very good design skills and he applies that to RotoWare seamlessly. So, um, props to yeah, him and he- yeah, absolutely. Does it for a job, professional designer for companies and nonprofits and all the stuff that help used to say rotoware.com 50% off Sagnoff. Let's get into some Orioles. Let's the talk O's. Austin Hayes. Let's talk yes. Austin Hayes. This is a kid out of Jacksonville. Uh, was sort of slept on even in terms of first year player drafts. I think he was sort of overlooked. Now he's ranked 20th in my top 100 prospects. I think he's going to start next year for the Orioles. The way the Orioles are, there's no reason why he shouldn't be their starting right fielder. They could be aggressive with him. It wouldn't shock me. I don't think they're going to play any uh, service time games, but I could be mistaken. Uh, doesn't walk a lot. Very much a contact first profile, power contact profile, which is very similar to a lot of guys that are on the Orioles. Mancini's one of those guys. Another one of those guys they traded for in Tim Beckham. Obviously, Jonathan Scope is like that as well. I'll tell you, though, when I watch Austin Hayes, this guy gets his bat on everything, doesn't strike out a lot. Um, like I said, doesn't walk a lot, but he really does have good pitch recognition. I think good handle of the strike zone. And I do think there's the pop in there that this guy could be a 30 home run hitter in the current environment. What do you think about Hayes? Yeah, Hayes is an interesting one to me. Um, I'm most interested, Ralph, if you have any insight into the Orioles' willingness to jump guys from double A. I noticed this with a couple of individuals in their system, but uh, Hayes is a guy that made that jump and he hit unbelievably well in the minor leagues in Bowie, um, which is in the Eastern league and double a and plays mm-hmm. played the Argos. I'm sure at some point, I don't think I saw them this year, but, uh, I think Hayes was one of the guys that I did want to see and I didn't get a chance to, I only saw him at the major league level, but I'm intrigued by him. Um, I had actually a bit of internal debate with him in Mountcastle at two, and I'm, we're going to get into Mountcastle a little bit more. We'll stand Hayes for the time being, um, I like Hayes. I think that he's interesting. I think that there's a weird blend of kind of people who are bullish on him and people who also think he has a high floor. I haven't heard too much negativity around him. Honestly, I think it's, it's a very strong case for him being number one in the system. Um, I'm relatively kind of interested to see a bigger sample with him and see what the K rate looks like, how comparable it looks to double a. And I understand a lot of times the high to double a jumps the biggest and he made that relatively well. But I think that to some extent the Orioles have 
maybe even kind of rush some of their players through their system to some extent. And I'm not sure how fully developed Hayes is, in my opinion. I'm interested to see. He's got the raw skills. Like you can see the contact skills. That all plays up beautifully. The major league level, we've seen that a lot. He goes the other way. He can play at all fields, et cetera. Hits the ball very hard. I think his hard hit rate was around 32%, which is very nice. Um, I think that there's a reasonable case, again, to say that he can um, play full season. You know, you could get up to 140 at-bats, you know, or excuse me, at-bats, um, games played with around like the 500 plate appearance sample, which would be interesting. But I, I'm i nervous about him. Like if you're going into a draft and you're looking at Hayes, I'm sure he's a post kind of 250 overall kind of guy. And I'm talking about like March drafts, like legitimate drafts for not, not like dynasty leagues, but I think you really need to watch what the Orioles do this offseason with their outfield. I know there's been some rumors about them picking up some other guys possibly and sticking them in the corner. There's always seems to be a plethora of those. So I think what the Orioles do in the offseason with the corner outfield spots and how it relates to Hayes will say a lot about what the system thinks of him. You know, if it's a one year deal, maybe they just think he needs a little bit more seasoning in Norfolk and AAA. But if it's if it's a longer term deal, maybe they don't buy into Hayes as much as I think me and you kind of do. So I think he'll sneak into my top 100. I think 20 is very aggressive on him. I was pretty surprised when I saw that, Ralph. But you buy into him, and I appreciate that. I like the I like the hot take on that. I think that would you consider that a hot take? I think that's relatively hot. 20 overall on a prospect list for Hayes. Uh, I think it might be. It might be. It might be a little hot. It might be a little hot. I'm not sure. I, I think he's ranked pretty highly in a lot of uh, uh, fantasy prospect lists. Yeah, and I, I, I think, think it's because the numbers were so good, and I yep. think it translates. I think that's one of the other things is I think. His skill set, his swing, uh, how w- well he hits the ball, how hard he hits the ball is going to play up at that ballpark and also with the current environment. I just with the juice balls, I'm leaning more in on these guys that have this sort of hard, hard hit ball profile that Hayes has. And mm-hmm. it's probably pretty similar to Mountcastle as well. Mountcastle is another guy who makes very loud contact. I know you noticed uh, some some differences between his swing as an amateur, which was picturesque. It's beautiful. Oh. I, I love watching some of the scouting stuff. You watch the video of him, his highlights from batting practice, from the uh, Under Armour game. I think it was at uh, uh, Wrigley that year. The Under Armour All-American game from the 2014 summer. Oh, my God. It, it's it's uh, it's boner-inducing, <laughs> quite honest with you, uh, which is awful to say because I think he's 17 years old. And here I am sounding like Kevin Spacey. But before I make oh, any more uh, inappropriate comments, why don't you talk about the leg kick that Mountcastle added? Yeah. So that's the thing. Like you mentioned how unbelievable I I'm in love with his swing from the minor leagues. Like I've seen him a bit. I have to say that I didn't see him much during this year in the minor leagues. I didn't watch too many highlights of him knew about who he was. Obviously one of the top Orioles prospects, one of those guys that I think a lot of people are kind of fringy trying to figure out what the upside is with him and if it'll, if it'll flourish and if the power will, will come to, but again, a high school shortstop drafted. Um, I texted you Ralph and I, I said that this is a tough one for me to say, because I've seen a lot of Brandon Rogers it just feels like Brendan Rogers to me. And this isn't a knock on Mountcastle. It's probably actually a boost on Mountcastle to my, from my perspective. I think the more I think about it, I might have him won, but it's tough because I love the floor with Hayes. I think it's really a, a team-based thing. You really got to look at your team and see if you're contending, you need Hayes. But if you're not, I think you could bet on Mountcastle. But I just, what you see in the really nice swing, which both Brendan Rogers and Ryan Mountcastle had in high school I think that obviously Brent Rogers walks more than Mountcastle, but the strikeout rates are similar. And what we're expecting on the power side in a vacuum, I will point out very specifically in a vacuum, because I know Coors buoys what we're thinking Brendan Rogers can do to some extent. Mountcastle, at the end of the day, reminds me a lot of Brendan Rogers. And it's just, it's from, I think it's particularly from the clean high school swing. But as you're mentioning with his adjustment, I alluded to, 
the Orioles added a leg kick. And it's very noticeable. Like it's one of those, I, I like pointing out the things that if you're an average fan or if you don't watch baseball at all, and I tell you this is Mountcastle, and then I fast forward two, three years and tell you this is Mountcastle, you think it's a different hitter. It's a very high leg kick. It reminds me a little like Matt Holiday-esque. He pulls it way up. And I think that this is one of two things to me. It's either them thinking he needs to find a way to get to more power and then his body isn't going to develop to the point where that could come naturally through his swing and keeping the absolutely gorgeous freaking swing he had that I'm, I'm, I'm to some extent, I'm just hurt that they took it away. But at the same time, if the Orioles system, if we believe in the Orioles system, which is something that is very hard to do, I'm sorry for anyone that's an Orioles fan on the pitching side, but I feel like that just creeps over onto the hitting side to a larger extent. Will this push him onto the upper echelon as far as prospects prospects go, excuse me. And will he develop power and be able to survive if he moves off shortstop to a corner outfield spot? I think this is what the Orioles are thinking. If I had to break down their thinking on it is that adding that leg hip allows him to stay back. He has decent breaking ball recognition and everything. He's going to walk a lot, but he makes a lot of contact. He's going to strike out a bit. I think we're going to look at kind of a scope profile from the strikeout standpoint, a little bit lower, but similar on the walks, but it's really a matter at this point, I think from the Orioles perspective of we need to see if he has the power, but I just, I don't know if the leg kick was the way to figure this out. And that's the thing. Cause I love the swing so much in high school. I'm just, I'm torn. Like I like him a lot because of what I know is deep down in Ryan Mountcastle, which is an unbelievable talent from high school that translated relatively well to the minor leagues. But again, he's young. And it's one of those things I just don't, it's a big change and I I'm worried about it overall, but if the power comes with it, you're looking at a, a powerful kid overall, I think could get to around 25 home runs. And again, I'm going to go back to the Rogers comp. I, I want you to, to gauge it on like the crazy old meter or something like that. Like, is it wild for me to say that I think Mountcastle and Rogers, I, I think Mountcastle and Rogers are a lot more similar as far as prospect status go than people think. And that lists of shame. It's a one out of a 10. Really? It's not crazy at all. Like, no, it's not crazy at all. It's a very similar profile. They played at similar levels. Uh, Rogers is better than Mount Castle. I, I think yes, ultimately, yes. Mm-hmm. you know, he's just a better hitter. He's got sl- he's got better pitch recognition than Mount Castle. Like mm-hmm. I think that Rogers at yeah. one point will walk. He's gonna he's gonna get to a point where he's never gonna be like a like a ten percent walk guy, but I think he'd be seven or eight. Where Mount Castle is probably always gonna be like a four or five. I think he's more like a like a Jonathan Scope, but he makes great contact. He's got a very nice swing. Um, and if, if I don't think he's going to have, I don't think he's going to be a 240 hitter, but I think he's more like a 260, 270 hitter, where I think that Rogers has better context because he's going to be a 300 hitter. I don't Would know. Maybe, maybe they could clean that up with Mount Castle a little bit. And maybe I'm sort of overrating that sample in double a, where he really struggled with some pitch recognition, looked overmatched at times. But then again, he turned 21 during the season. He entered the season as a 20-year-old. Um, and the other question with Mount Castle is, I think he's going to move out of the infield and probably end up as a, like a left like a left fielder. He's yeah, probably going to be yeah. a corner outfielder. And I just don't think that he has the pitch recognition skills or just the control of the of his the barrel of his bat like Austin Hayes does. And if he's moving out of the out of the outfield out of the um, infield to the outfield. Ultimately, I think that gives Hayes the bump. Plus, he's more of a finished product. There's less risk. And the ETA, I do give an ETA bump. Even in my top 100, the ETA sure, gets sure. bumped a little bit. It's the last time these guys are probably going to be in the list, more like more than likely. Yeah. Um, but I do but, I do like Mount Castle a lot. I think he's a very intriguing prospect. He can hit. And right now, he's a shortstop. So, 
we'll that's, see what happens yeah and on the power side of things vacuum again we're saying vacuum here because i want to try to eliminate cores as much as possible on this brendan rogers comp that i'm throwing to the wind but i feel like deep down mount castle has room for more power am i incorrect in saying that ralph no i think so too i think he'll add more and, and the other thing is major leagues he has a, you know a, a swing that does produce power he hits the ball in the air a lot he hits the ball really hard and Camden Yards is, isn't an awful place for a power-wise. I bet you homer-wise, it's not all that different from Coors. I would bet Coors, because of the, yeah. the size of the outfield, probably plays up your, your batting average on balls and play oh, a little oh, bit. Yeah. Let me let me just change the, the subject here or just sure. change gears here a little bit. I wanted to jump into San Cisco because I know we mentioned him yeah. when we were talking about uh, Varsho and Yerzy in, in the Diamondback system. What are your thoughts on Cisco? There's a good chance, especially with, with Castillo leaving and, and going to the White Sox, that he could potentially be their starting catcher and get a majority of the, of the looks. He's not great behind the plate. Uh, the bat has always been what's carried him. It's not that exciting of a profile. He had a nice sample size at MLB at the end of the season. I know he hit for a little bit more power than we probably expected. But what do you expect to see from Cisco? Yeah, this is this is one that, again, I think I'd have a little bit higher on my list. Like You have D.L. Hall, a lefty uh, high schooler. Was he high school? I think he was a high schooler drafted mm. in the most recent draft at three. And then you have he Tanner was. Scott, who is the AFL kind of darling with the crazy heavy fastball at four. And then you have Cisco at five. I think I would go, I'd go one A, one B, Hayes Mountcastle. I think that there's something deep down that I love about Mountcastle. I'm going to stick by that. And then I'd go Cisco at three, most likely. There's something about Cisco that I like. And this goes back to what I'm sure I'm going to bring up multiple times as we talk through prospects over the next months and, and years, hopefully. But it's it's compact power to some extent, I think. And I know it's not light tower power that you're going to see from like, I mean, I started looking at comparable, what I think he could get to comparably and what I realistically think he can end up like next season, maybe the season after. And I came to the conclusion, I think he's a perennial top 12 catcher because I think there's a beautiful mix of floor and some power and some average and a lot of other things that are that are able to play up. And it's just a matter of, to some extent, how much playing time he gets as he's pretty, relatively young. But we talk about catchers all the time, and we mentioned this with Varsho and Yerzy on, on the D-backs list a couple minutes ago, that we're always kind of hesitant to figure out if a guy's going to stick at catcher and then trying to apply that skill set to other positions to see if it's relevant. So this is probably going to stay a catcher. This is like probably in the 95% confidence for me. He's going to stick a catcher, in my opinion. And I think that because of that, you look at guys like a, a Robinson Chirinos and a Chris Iannetta profile where they can take a walk and that'll play into the playing time. And they're relatively okay on defense. That'll play into the playing time to some extent. And then the strikeouts are kind of in that 25 ish window. And those guys literally, if you just get lucky on some home runs that here and there can jump up into that 20, 20 ish, 25 ish home run window. And then that puts you into the top 10 for catcher. The difference between the ninth catcher and the 15th catcher isn't a lot. You know, that's the thing that I think Gray talks about all the time on the site. And I'm a believer in is that, you just, I, I punk catcher in a lot of leagues aside from the top ones, you know, cut up Posey. Yachty had a great year last year, whatever you want to think of him. Gary Sanchez is obviously very elite, but you look at down, like the people who don't want to pay up for a catcher like that and want to build the rest of your team. And then you look at a guy like Cisco, who maybe in a couple of years can end up being this perennial guy we see in the top 12 that to some extent you you find yourself taking 250, 300 overall. And I know that's not tantalizing for a lot of people. Like we're talking about, about a guy that's 250, 300 overall eventually. I think by, I would say probably by 20. 19 i think that he's in that window and i think he ends up perennial top 12 i like a lot of what he does i like his compact power i think that there's more power than people realize good barrel to the ball um I, it reminds me I, I mean i'm gonna go to this all the time i i just said it compact power i like it a lot compact swing there isn't a lot of movement he's gonna stick a catcher 
And I think a lot of that plays into the fact that I probably put him above Tanner Scott, who I'm worried about as far as starting goes and DL hall, who I think is a little bit too raw to start to project out and have them three, but I'm interested in both those Southpaws there, DL hall and Tanner Scott for you, unless you want to talk about Cisco briefly, your opinion on him. But um, yeah, the only, and the only thing I wanted to bring up on Cisco, and I think you're, you're totally right. He's a guy that I've actually targeted a lot in two catcher leagues is somebody that I'm sort of taking a chance on as like a third catcher in one of those leagues, or even my second catcher. If the league is deep enough, because I do think he's going to get some playing time. I do think his skills play up. I think he's a more of a professional hitter. He's got a better um, profile for long-term sustained success than Jorge Alfaro, who I know a lot of people Especially like. Especially with the walks, I'm, yep. Yeah, and it, the fact that he knows how to put the bat in the ball consistently, uh, he knows how to go the other way, um, and he has good pitch recognition skills. He's a decent hitter. It's just a matter of how much the power plays up. And, I, you know, I also always factor in the grind of catcher, it wears guys down. It hurts their offensive ability. And I'm just not one that values catching unless it's someone like Gary Sanchez. You have to be a generational sort of offensive talent for me to really be impressed and want to own you. Otherwise, I'm, I'm just taking a flyer on catchers here and there. And I mean, That's I think fair. I won a dynasty league one year with Jet Bandy as my starting catcher. You know, it doesn't really matter. But let me get into these two lefties because I yeah. think they're kind of interesting. And I think what my fascination is, if you haven't noticed yet, I'm a lefty whore. I really like <laughs> left-handed. I like left-handed starters. I buy into it. I'm going to touch on Tanner Scott first, who I had ranked four, because I have a little bit more to say about him. Hall is, is, a, is a young talent. I can go through what his, his pitches are, but we haven't had enough of the sample size yet to know really what he is. And he's so young. I mean, he's a, a high school guy. So Tanner Scott was great in the AFL. Now, he's not a starter. Okay, let's just get that started. Yeah. He's not a starter, but I do think he could be a left-handed Chris Davinsky. And that's why I love him because I love owning Chris Davinsky in all formats. I even own him in my 12 team leagues, something like an RCL. He gives you great innings and it's a good way, especially for your start limits to sort of avoid any questions. Misses, misses bats. This guy has an 80 grade fastball. It hits triple digits. Um, His slider is okay, but that fastball was nasty from the left side. Um, he can go multiple innings and I, I think that potentially, like I said, he could be a left-handed Chris Davinsky. He's going to be relatively short to the major leagues. Um, what did you, what do you think about Scott and what do you sort of think about maybe, maybe this is crazy, but like I said, I, I think he could fit that role and be really effective in it. I, I agree. I think that the most interesting thing here is that you have the Orioles with the positive in their system is the track record of producing relievers to some extent. You look at guys like Brad Brock, who's stepped into the closer role and are fantastic. Zach Britton is a commodity that I understand probably hasn't been as elite in the last couple of years, but at one point had probably the best sinker objectively in baseball for an extended period of time. And Tanner Scott, I think when he gets in the big leagues, will have one of the best fastballs in baseball, all of baseball. And I agree with Davinsky from the, not the side of the pitch repertoire. I think obviously we're going towards more of the multi-inning role is what you're saying, where he can go exactly. because there's even that 1% chance that people want him to start, which he obviously isn't, that he's probably easier to be stretched out. He can go to get six outs. I'd be interested to see once he starts facing guys, you know, if he gets beyond that three, like, I'm not sure. I'm actually interested to see. I don't know how many times Davinsky went through an order. Like, I don't think he pitched that deep into games, but that's something you got to kind of watch out about. Like Tanner Scott, I'm interested to see. I understand it's in a, a, near an 80 grade fastball, 80 grade fastball, whatever you want to say. But how, how long do you think before guys actually start to time that pretty well? Do you think it's good enough that at the major league level, it still grades out that high? It's it's not. It's not really straight. It, it, it's got some funk to it. That's why okay. I, I don't know. Like, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that it has enough movement on it that it's not going to be easy for, for anybody to pick up. And, yeah. you know, it's regardless of, of how hard he throws. It's it's legit because of sort of the, the plane on it and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of the spin that he gets on it. Um, the slider isn't great. I think that yeah, I think the, the slider will get will will get beat up a little bit. Um, but his stuff is nasty enough to play up. And like I said, that they do have a track record of of you know developing good bullpen guys, and it's pretty much the only thing that they have. And he did look he did look good in short spurts um, in the AFL as well. Do you have anything else to say on Scott? Or you want to move on to Hall a little bit? I don't know if I'm, no, I'm okay. I'm okay on Scott. I mean. Uh, 30% strike weight through 70 innings, 16% walk rate. That's the red flag. And I'm, again, I'm going back to the fastball being, I'm interested to see how it plays up at that level because we know the slider is already kind of fringy and weird, but I think that to some extent, if you can sit on his fastball, even if it's this good, like at what point do major league hitters start to hit it very well, you know? And as a reliever, I, I just don't know. That's what I'm kind of torn about is like, I get it's 80 grade in the minors, but at the major league level, we still call it 80 grade. If guys are only seeing that pitch, but with DL Hall, it just comes to DL Hall as we're, I think we're creeping over the hour mark here. So we got to kind of pick it up, but um, not much, obviously not much depth here in their system, but um, I'm interested in your thoughts on DL Hall. You had him up pretty high, I think relative to what we're going to see on other lists. Um, you like lefties as you're saying, but is this kind of, I don't know. I, I'm interested to see what you see in him. I don't think I w- was as enamored with him. I think I'd probably have Hall right next to Hunter Harvey, even with the acknowledgement that Hunter Harvey has a ton of ton of track record on the injury side. But I think I'd probably put him back to back. Honestly, they're almost relatively interchangeable to me. But you got to see something in Hall to have him three, and I want to know what it is. Yeah, and I think what it is is he has a really nice repertoire. He's got a fastball that I know can sort of vary, but in terms of you know the actual velocity, he throws it very hard from the left side. He's young and already has that velocity. Um, plus curveball. I like the breaking ball a lot, especially the stuff I saw as an amateur. Some of the things, uh, tape I saw of him with Team USA where he did relatively well. And he's got a changeup that when he has control of it, and that's a big problem with, with Hall, is the command control issues. But if they can sort of streamline the mechanics and sort of get him to, you know, get a little bit crisper on top. And by the way, he's 19. So there's a a strong possibility that could happen. But he's got the makings of velocity, breaking, you know, plus breaking ball, and then, you know, above average to potentially plus if all goes well off speed pitch. That's a nice combination. Um, But I guess the track record of the Orioles would scare me off too. When looking at this system, I'm just not all that into Hunter Harvey any longer, and I'm much more guarded with him. I would rather somebody took a chance on a hall and sat on him for a couple of years, probably would pay a little bit less for him too. Um, and there, I, think, I just think there's more upside. So I'm willing to make a gamble on a guy like that with some upside, especially if you're playing in some of these shallower formats that are pitching-centric, like a head-to-head points league or something like that, where sort of the top pitching prospects tech, you know, tend to be owned. I play in a few leagues like that where – sort of every first round talent of a pitcher is owned uh, because pitching is, is, is it such a premium in a setup like that? I think Hall has a little bit more value, but I think he's interesting. And there's sort of that front end starter potential that I don't think they have anywhere else in the system. So that's why he's number three for me. And I was going to say, I mentioned this in my article and considering we're going over the crazy meter, it, yeah. when you watched him, <laughs> does he kind of look like a lefty Sonny Gray or, or is that like a little insane? It's funny. So I actually, I didn't see that off the bat. I, I, I think that when you flip handedness of pitchers, it's tougher on comps. Like that's just tough for mm. me to, to rationalize. But I, I read through, I watched all these guys and I, I went through and dug through them all statistically and, and through video and stuff. And then I read your column 
aside from just looking at where you had him ranked. And I thought that was funny. I thought that was an interesting comp. I kind of see it. Was it more mechanically for you? I, I yeah, assume that's yeah, what you're going Yeah, with. I just meant his delivery. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, I just totally meant yeah. his delivery. Nothing else but I his delivery. It. That's it. I can see it. I don't think it was that crazy. I put it around like a like a three. three I think three is reasonable <laughs> for that. <laughs> but okay, a crazy meter for believing in Hunter Harvey is, is an eight or a nine, right? Because I, oh, I, I, yeah. the thing is like I, you, I'm scarred by him because I remember him ages ago. Like way, way back in the day, Hunter Harvey was like the sexy prospect the time before everyone got completely scarred by what the Orioles have done with pitching prospects. But I mean, as <laughs> since 2013, he has 150 innings, like around there. I think it's probably uh, right around. I have under 150 innings, so it's probably high 148s. Like that. What do you What do you want from that? Like, what are you going to do with that? You can't really project any of it because every single time he's pitched, he's had a problem. The only thing that I kind of want to look at is this last couple this last couple inning stretch that he had in his rehab, which is like, again, tantalizing and you're kind of start to fall in love with him again, especially when you see the 41% strikeout rate. But again, very obviously he's, he's, he's good deep down. He's good, but it's just, man, like, I just don't know where to put him. I don't know where to put him on a list. Like if I was doing a nose list, he's outside of the top 100. He's probably outside of the top 150. You just, at this point with a kid like this, it's just, he's been injured so much. It's, it's disappointing because you know, he has the talent. He posted a 41% striker rate in this rehab stint. Like he, he seems like he's getting healthy, but the stretch out, I think is going to take a while. And you're basically looking at, I think a relatively similar time frame to DL Hall. And as you're saying, like you're, you don't have that injury problem with DL Hall. I mean, I hope it doesn't develop, but I kind of see what you're saying now with that. I think that I said that I'd have them neck and neck, but I think the more I think about it, I'd probably have them both towards the back end of this list still, but I'd probably have DL, DL Hall in front because you're looking at relatively similar ETA time frame, in my opinion, because of Harvey's stretch out. Um, and Hall is not, doesn't really have that embedded injury problem that we've dealt with with Harvey for so long, but man, you watch him and it's, uh, I just, I get, I get sad with these guys like this, you know, cause you, you know, deep down that the kid's amazing. He's a very good pitcher at one point, especially if you go back to his older days, but Jesus, the Orioles, God damn it. <laughs> and, and I want to say, I, I heavily blame the Orioles for the problem as well. Um, and I, and I remember, I remember his, his father, uh, when he, when he pitched for the angels and, and, you know, he was a relatively good major leaguer as well. And it sucks because this kid was shut down in 2014 with elbow soreness. They ha- they didn't, they didn't have any, sur- they didn't have him to do Tommy John, didn't do any surgery. He missed the entire 2015 season with the same strain. And then in 2016, he made five starts. I believe in the fifth start, he was shut down, left with elbow soreness. Sure enough, had Tommy John surgery, and now he's working his way back. So he's more or less missed two and a half seasons plus, almost three full seasons because of one injury and the way the team dealt with it. And they tried to go the the Masahiro Tanaka, and apparently he didn't have a magical elbow, and it didn't heal itself. So it really screwed up Harvey's development. I don't know at this point if – we should write that off as, as it was one injury or if he's really is injury prone and it was multiple elbow injuries. And it's just, an, it just, you know, we're waiting for the next injury to happen. It's a good question. I think the talent is still there. This kid's curveball was plus plus. This was a, like a, like a 70 grade curveball when he first came, you know, came into the, into pro ball. And I think a lot of people thought this guy was, you know, a front of the rotation sort of starter. If you look back at the ranks, you know, he and Dylan Bundy were supposed to be the second coming, you know, oh, this yeah. is supposed to be a one, two, and they were supposed to be in the major leagues this season. 
So it sort of hurt the team with this injury. Once again, getting back to the conversation, I'll say Harvey's injury prone, but you give it some context and it gives you some argument. He's a guy that I, I, if you can get him for dirt cheap prices, you're in a deep enough league that you can hold on to him for a couple of years. And, 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 you know, it's not going to be a big deal. It's not going to, you know, hurt your sort of farm system or your cycle of, you know, cheap players. If it's a dynasty league, like I play in where, uh, you know, you want to have rookies and you want to have prospects because the cheapest contracts you can have, if it's a, Mm -hmm. you know, a salary cap league, I think Harvey might be a guy to maybe take a shot on, but I don't know. He's still very tough to believe in, but there is a lot of good there still. You want to go over these last couple of uh, outfielders in the system and in Cedric Mullins, Anthony Santander, and then DJ Stewart. I know we were talking, I was talking about Santander beforehand. You said you saw him. Yeah. Kind of interesting, big power in the Indian system. Um, Switch hitter. He's, he is, he was a rule five steal actually for, uh, for the Orioles. So I'm kind of interested in Santander and sort of, is there anything there, do you think? I mean, is this a guy that's like a, a utility fourth outfielder, or do you think he could be a second division regular with some pop? I, I, I can't say yes on the second division regular with pop. I think that it's much more likely he turns into a utility guy. Um, it's interesting. It's it's one of those things like it's it's a perfect rule example of a Rule 5 guy that sticks on your roster, not a Rule 5 guy that you end up giving back to the team and paying a fee, et cetera, whatever. But 290, 368, 494, 20% strikeout rate, 10% walk rate. Like that's completely manageable. And he's got some pop. And like, I, I just don't know if you can expand him out to a full season. Like, is he able to take on that role and provide more value than I think what we're projecting? And that, that's the big issue. Like, I think everyone sees him at first base, kind of maybe corner outfielder-ish, DHing possibly in the future. He's got a little V-mart in him, obviously, from the switch hitting side. And the fact, if you look at his stance too, I think a little bit from the left side reminds me particularly of V-mart as far as he's a little bit bent over with his back and his his bad path and stuff. But obviously, he's nowhere near the prospect V-mart was. Um, yeah. But it's interesting with Santander. I'm, I know we made a bank joke because we're in the Northeast and Santander Bank is is a bank that you see all the time around here. So I remember when I saw him out in Camden actually this year, um, we, me and my dad were making bank jokes about him. But uh, <laughs> I think he actually I think he got a hit in that game. I think he doubled down the line in that game. But I, I don't think he's any more than utility. I don't think he's really anything to, to ban ally chat. I'm interested to see. I didn't actually look. I wanted to. I didn't get a chance to look at his splits to see if he's like a streaming option to some extent in, in leagues this year. Like if, you know, the Orioles, I think to some extent that park plays up relatively well. And if he's got, I'm not sure if he hits extremely better from one side, I think he might be better from the left side, but crappy righty on the mound. I'd be interested in maybe streaming him a day or two, but I don't see anything more than that. Cedric Mullins too, is another guy who kind of just feels a fourth outfielder at the end of the day. Um, power to speedish kind of mix. He had a really, really hot start actually at the beginning of this year. Um, I think he was batting like 500 ish through like maybe 15 games or something. And it's interesting because awesome. you look at guys like that. And I feel like to some extent we have guys like this where we know deep down they're fourth outfielders and then they'll go through a stretch in the major league level where we're like, Oh my God, like what if we project this guy out? Like, Oh my God, he could be power speed switch bat, this, that, no real bad split problems. And he ends up, you know, we start thinking, you know, JBJ a little bit, Jackie Barley jr. Where we're like, Oh, maybe, maybe this kind of, oh, deep down, he kind of looks like JBJ at the end of the day, switch this and that, or it's just, we start to kind of get a little bit enamored with hot stretches. And at the end of the day, for such moments, for me, it's, it's more of a hot stretch kind of thing. Catch him on a hot stretch at the major league level. I think he could be right. A decent fourth outfielder utility guy, but I, that doesn't do anything in fantasy at the end of the day for me. So I'm kind of, eh, I'm just going to push, I'm going to do the push on both these guys, but I'll pass DJ Stewart to you. 
Yeah, and I think on I think on on Mullen, Santander, and uh, and Stewart, they're all they're all prospects. You're owning in you know 300 plus prospects. Oh sure, yeah. You know minor you sort of leagues, and, especially too. And I, I try to and I try to cater these podcasts to some of the deeper stuff too. Because yeah, absolutely. I love the deeper stuff. That's that's my thing. And I think Mullins is the kind of guy that I take a shot on because he's a great athlete, switch hitter. He's got speed. He's got power. Maybe there's some 15, 20 upside there. He's got some feel to hit. Um, so he's not something I'm going to completely write off. 23 at double a not the youngest prospect so he's somebody that like i said i think anybody in the back end of this list um these three guys in the back end of this list uh are definitely sort of at best sort of second division regulars that that have a pop uh dj stewart's not all that different from mullins in that sense he's not a switch hitter uh but was you know a a high pick i believe he was a former first round pick had really trouble sort of living up to the expectations had a good year this year slash 278 378 481 uh had a 2020 season i think was one of four players with 2020 seasons or five 20 five players with 2020 seasons don't quote me on that number but it was it was in the single digits (laughs) in the minors this year uh so he has power and he has speed He's kind of he's kind of big bodied though. If you watch him, you're shocked that he moves as well as he does. But he is a good athlete. Um, is is interesting for an Orioles prospect because he walks so much. He is a a, a high walk rate guy. Um, I don't I don't hate his skills, and he's got a quick bat from the left side. So um, I don't want to completely write him off. I think Stewart's floor is probably higher than the two guys I put ahead of him. I just think that maybe Santander gets lucky and has like a 25 yeah. homer season or something. I do think it's possible. Do you have anything to say about Stewart? I wanted to maybe briefly just mention Adam Hall as well, just for Go our for first it, yeah. year player I'll, draft I'll guys. Pass I'll pass it to Hall for you. Yeah, you pass it back to Hall? Yeah. Nice. Take All it. right. Take it. Take it away. My mic sounds right. Check one. <laughs> uh <laughs> Adam, Adam Hall, shortstop, 18 year old, another Canadian prospect like Jersey that we talked about before. Um, really clean swing. I love what I saw. He was a guy that in some of my deeper first year player drafts that definitely would be targeting may end up. I may be on the clock now in my fifth round of my last first year player draft. I may end up taking him right now. We'll see really quick bat, quick hands, good athleticism. Um, and right now he's, he's decent at short is, you know, he's not an awful defensive shortstop. Um, we used to throw, I, I, you know, I see these, these defensive videos, you know, highlights of him and workouts and stuff. I can't grog any of that. I'm taking that from a scouting report, to be quite honest with you. I can judge him as a hitter. And the and the swing is really clean, really nice. I know Baseball America was really high in him uh, in terms of the Orioles draft grade. So Hall is a name to keep in mind for your first-year player drafts. Lance, did you have any opinion on Hall whatsoever? Or do you want to end this uh, – this odyssey man i once you get into like the the 10 through 12 ish of the of an orioles <laughs> list i just kind of i start to space i started i started looking off. at what fangrass had on their front page as you as you talked about oh, i'm not gonna lie <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah i mean i think we could kind of we could kind of close it out i don't i don't think we have too much more to speak at here um again usual good show i think we're around that hour 20 again so we apologize but if anyone stuck around for this long uh i will be at the winter meetings next week from saturday night so obviously i'll be getting to bed relatively early and up early for sunday but i'm not gonna be there for rule rule five drafts on thursday i believe i'm not gonna be there for that but i will be there through wednesday if there's anyone down there that has stuck it out with me and ralph for the last hour and 20 minutes uh let me know shoot me a shoot me a little message on twitter i'm at lance brosdow um so b-r-o-z-d-o-w is that's my last name just attach it on my first name there uh, for my twitter handle and uh 
Yeah, I'll pass it back to you, Ralph. You're Prospect Jesus on Twitter. You run the Fan Track Show. I write for Big Three Sports. I write for Asball, and I've been potting with you, doing a lot of other stuff. Uh, man, we're busy people. I like it. We make time for oh, this yeah. show. We put a lot of time on this. This is, this is a blast, very, man. Very busy, very busy. Had uh, Zan. Uh, Zan. I just, I <laughs> just called him Zan. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, Dan Zabrowski uh, from Fangraphs zips projections on the show last night with uh, the Fantrax baseball show with Andy Singleton. Please check that out. We had the replay up. It's really good. Any of the technical difficulties that we had, we sort of phased it out. We really sort of dug in a little bit in how he projects prospects and what skill sets he looks uh, into. Really interesting stuff. We're going to have uh, Chris Kusilek. And a scout on next week. So we've had a major leaguer, we've had a projection guy, and now an old school baseball scout, even though he's a young millennial. Um, <laughs> so we're kind of covering the gamut there. I'm trying to have a little bit more varied content, maybe a little bit more baseball focused content, give us some insight from sort of different parts of the game. I don't think we'll get an executive on, but I'm going to work on Jerry DePoto. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll shoot him yeah. some messages on Twitter. Maybe he'll, he'll, he'll come on the show or not. We'll see. But you know where to follow me, Prospect Jesus on Twitter. I post on, on Razzball on Tuesdays. I've been doing my Dynasty Sleepers. This last one, I did one of my favorite prospects in the twin system, Akil Badu, did Jorge Guzman. Before that, I'm going to do Gabriel Arias next week from the Padres system. Uh, so I'm going to be digging into a different player all the way up until the new year. We're going to do two systems a week. All my system ranks are coming out on Sundays. Uh, this Last week, we did the Chicago White Sox, the Cubs the week before. And this week, we can do the Cincinnati Reds. So, uh, Lance, I think that's a wrap, man. Thanks for listening to the Razzball Prospect Podcast. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago, with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle, long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles.